Hello and welcome everyone to Greetings from Brussels, episode 23 of our Global Text Fund podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Taylor, and as always, I'm joined by Anna from our EU team. Hi, Anna. Hello. And we're also being joined by Stephen Tullett from our UK team. Hi, Stephen. Hi, everyone. So in today's um, episode, we're discussing the new UK government initiative to create a code of practice for app security and privacy. This is the first government-led initiative to increase best practices around privacy and security in the app ecosystems. And this is particularly important in a world where, as we know, cyber threats are increasing every day. And also companies managing app stores face more regulatory pressure to open up for parties their security, um, the secure ecosystem in the name of competition. So before we dig uh, into all of this, uh, a bit of tech history and the top tech headlines from Europe. Tetris is a great example of a game that has stood the test of time. Created in 1984 by programmers at the Soviet Academy of Science, Tetris quickly became really popular in Moscow and the game was installed on every computer in the city. It was distributed via via floppy disk throughout the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe in the 1980s. However, due to a lack of copyright, In the Soviet bloc and Western suspicion of a Soviet product, the game was unable really to attract a global audience. Western and Japanese game firms only really started buying licenses to convert Tetris to their platforms and computers in 1987, and Nintendo, Sega, Atari, Commodore and other companies released ports of the game. Copyright and license concerns were not really resolved until um, Plintov and others created the Tetris company in 1996. And Tetris was, today remains really a mainstay in the video gaming business and is today available on a wide range of devices and platforms. It has sold over 495 million copies globally to date and is now the most successful non-Nintendo video game franchise. And that's all for Tech History Today. And now it's time for Brussels Bites. Anna, Steven, what are the latest top headlines from inside the Brussels bubble in Europe, and uh, but also in the UK? Leading security expert and head of security at the Finnish firm With Secure, Mikko Hipponen warned that the EU should not force iPhone maker Apple to allow the installation of applications outside the App Store, as reported by the German newspaper Handelsblatt. The new EU law, the Digital Markets Act, expected to be finalized by the summer, would force companies like Apple to allow users to install software from outside the App Store. Hipponen said he could certainly understand the motives of EU lawmakers to reduce Apple's power over its ecosystem, and also highlighted the distribution of smartphone software through tightly controlled App Stores at Apple, and with restrictions Google, is the biggest security improvement in the past 15 years. Speaking at the Sphere 22 conference, he also made the case for holding manufacturers of connected home appliances liable if poor cybersecurity in their products made major hacking attacks possible. He also emphasized the need for companies and consumers to make much more conscious decisions about whether a device should be networked at all. The UK government is preparing to unveil its strategy designed to boost the UK's digital sector later this month, according to the Financial Times. The strategy is expected to include a set of technology-focused policies covering artificial intelligence, quantum computing and digital health, 
as well as some initiatives to strengthen London's startup scene following Brexit and the health crisis. Indeed, the lack of skilled workers since Brexit and the introduction of tighter immigration controls has been raised as a concern by many tech leaders. One of the key issues will be digital health and the use of data um, use of data by the NHS to tackle health inequalities by using data to identify where disparities exist and allocate resources on that basis. Some measures could be announced at London's Tech Week starting on June the 13th. We will, of course, keep you up to date in future episodes of TechSwamp. In May, the European Commission proposed a new law to fight child sexual abuse online. The new regulation would force digital companies such as Google, Apple, or Meta's WhatsApp to find, report, and remove online child sexual abuse material circulating on their platforms or face fines up to 6% of their global revenue. The plan also proposes to set up a new independent EU agency based in The Hague, which would be tasked with analyzing reports of illegal material, coordinating databases of digital fingerprints of illegal material, or helping companies find the right technology to do so. However, the proposal could also have a major impact on privacy. Indeed, privacy advocates are extremely concerned that the law will force tech companies to monitor their platforms for child abuse content, even in interpersonal end-to-end encrypted communications. They've indicated that weakening encryption and security will basically automatically open opportunities for bad actors to exploit. The text will need to be discussed by member states in the Council of the EU and the European Parliament. We'll, of course, follow the discussions and keep you informed moving forward. Over on the continent, Germany's economy ministry has already announced its draft startup strategy aiming at fostering a dynamic startup scene in the country. A series of measures include provisions to reinforce startup funding with 10 billion euros, which is $10.75 billion, in new public funding through to 2030, as well as steps to nudge pension funds to invest in venture capital. The plan aims to attract investment investment capital to Germany by granting venture capital funds sales tax exemptions. The ministry wants the government to adopt the plan during the summer. And that's all for Brussels Bites. In this month's policy discussion, we're discussing security and privacy in app ecosystems and the first government-led initiative seeking to enhance it. And for those who listened to our last podcast, we updated listeners on a new voluntary code of practice for app stores, app developers and platform developers the UK is launching. The code is still at the moment in a draft form and it's open for comments for developers or any other experts in the field until the 29th of June. As an organization, we will certainly provide our feedback, but we thought it would be interesting for our listeners to look at this initiative in a bit more detail. And to do that, we're keeping things in-house with our fellow co-host and policy expert, Anna, as well as Stephen for the UK perspective. So Anna, let's start with you. Um, maybe you can give us a general overview of what this initiative is about. Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the UK government has explained this whole initiative as by basically saying that apps, you know, are increasingly important in our everyday lives. Um, They manage our finances, they help us catch up with friends. Um, We use various devices um, to monitor health and to um, do educational stuff. Basically, you can use your smartphone, game consoles, fitness devices, smart TVs, like all day, every day. Um, And given this increased reliance on apps, the government in the UK has concluded that these apps that we use all the time must be secure so that 
our data is protected and that also our privacy um, for consumers and organizations stays protected from malicious actors, right? And we can only agree with that. We, we always advocate for strong privacy rules and our members rely um, on strong data protection to keep consumer trust. So um, as our use has increased of mobile apps, so have the risks and the UK is now seeking to manage these risks to keep UK citizens and the British economy at large um, secure and to keep benefiting from um, from all the benefits that apps provide. And in this context, the government then conducted a review of the App Store ecosystem from um, the la- in the last two years, from December 2020 to March 2022. Um, and they did so with the intention to reduce the threats that we face from malicious and insecure apps. Um, but they also wanted to help developers to meet best practices in security and privacy. And so this review that they conducted, um, for one, found that malicious and poorly developed apps, unfortunately, continue to be available and accessible to users on app stores or via the web. Um, And they also found that the main app stores that we mostly talk about, the big two Apple's and Google's app stores, are not adequately um, signposting app requirements to developers. And they're not providing detailed enough feedback if an app is Um, or an update is rejected. And so then, once they concluded this review, the government then decided that the most effective intervention at this time would be a voluntary code of practice for all app store operators and developers, and this doesn't just include the main two, this includes all kinds of app stores, um, in order to improve practices um, to protect users at a scale from malicious and insecure apps across the whole app ecosystem. And so because developers have some type of responsibility, right, they have a responsibility to ensure that apps they develop are built with the appropriate security and privacy measures. App stores at the same time also have an important role here because the apps go through these review processes where the um, app store provider can check if an app meets all these security requirements and then that will protect users basically on two fronts from malicious and poorly developed apps. So this code is looking to increase the levels of privacy and security on app stores, Um, but if necessary, this code will open the door for the government to mandate the currently intended as voluntary requirements in the future if the risks that arise from malicious apps can't be mitigated through this stakeholder action or the threat landscape evolves too much. Oh, thanks, Anna. That's very clear. Um, So, of course, privacy and app security are um, very important to our members and they work every day to preserve user safety. It sounds like that both our members and the app stores will have to pay attention to what's in the voluntary code of practice. But before we talk about the content of the code, just a quick question on this privacy and security risk in the ecosystem. Um, at the App Association, we, we've highlighted many times the, the importance to keep our ecosystem safe for all actors. On the one hand, a trusted environment allows small and unknown app developers, such as our members, to be trusted instantly by users and that all around the world. 
And on the other hand, it really allows users to fully and safely embrace the benefits of the app economy um, that the app economy has to offer. And they can download apps without even thinking if they're downloading uh, a malware, for example. So curated online platforms know this, and this has worked, um, and they've worked towards building this safe online ecosystem. And today the app ecosystem is where it is. It's really a success. So what are, how are the risks changing now? I mean, why are we building this code um, this year, this moment? Yeah, that's a that's a really important point. Like you can make a direct connection, right? Security and by extension privacy are a precondition to the growth of the app economy, especially for for smaller businesses like you mentioned. Um and we actually we published a paper on this specific topic last year um called Security and Trust from an App Maker's Point of View that explains why this is so important for smaller businesses. So if you want to learn more about that, you can um find that in the show notes and on our website. But to get back to the question, um, the, the platforms, right, through careful gatekeeping and curation, these main app stores have managed pretty effectively to keep most actors out of their systems. Like most people who own an Android device or an iPhone, they just download apps without even thinking about it. But in recent years, as like I said earlier, our use of mobile devices and apps has expanded, the app economy has grown significantly and our mobile devices have become a potential goldmine of personal data for malicious actors the more data we store on it because we use more different apps and they can do more things. So malware has always been a threat. It remains constant, um, but the attacks have become more targeted and sophisticated. A good example of this is um, last year, there was a new generation Android banking Trojan um, that was ironically disguised as an antivirus app called SharkBot, um, and that was uh, distributed on the Google Play Store. So lots of people had access to it. And although Google took it down, as soon as they became aware of it, some damage had already been done because it all happens really fast. Um, And so I, I would say it depends on what you're looking at, and there's two elements that increase security risks. So first, not all ecosystems are the same. While the operators of the popular software distribution platforms have worked for many, many years to earn consumer trust and build a good reputation, uh, they also, of course, because they have grown so much now, have strong incentives to maintain their trustworthiness, to keep users on their platform because it's how they generate value. Um, So they really do not want their platform to be compromised. Reports show, however, that smaller and less well-known third-party app stores have way fewer safeguards than the more popular ones. So on some of these alternate app stores, malicious apps even outnumber their safe offerings. So there's about 300 app stores worldwide, um, and according to RiskIQ's 2020 mobile app threat landscape report, which the UK's report also mentions, the top three mobile app stores in terms of the new apps published in 2020 were all third party, so not Apple or Google. Um, One that comes to mind is Ninegame. That's a store that saw the greatest influx of apps, but also was identified as the app store hosting the most malicious apps in 2019. Um, And then the second point that increases security risks is that Many investigations and many new laws that we have talked about on this podcast are being created or discussed around the globe to to 
enhance competition in the mobile ecosystem. But these laws, with the intent to increase competition between app store operators, they could potentially reshape the security of the app ecosystem as well. So maybe to jump back on that um, on that last point. So you're mentioning that there's increase of threat, but at the same time, there are new laws to open up ecosystem. Um, and so where exactly, first of all, are these laws and, and, and what do they do? Um, can you give a bit more information on that? Yeah, sure. So, so one that we've discussed many times is um, the Digital Markets Act, or DMA for short. Um, this, will, this law will enter into force later this year in Europe. Um, in the US, there's the Open App Markets Act. Um, and we just discussed this on our April episode of TechSwamp, so you could go back and listen to that if you want to learn more. Um, the UK has a similar initiative um, by the Competition and Markets Authority. They launched um, an investigation into Apple in March 2021 over suspected anti-competitive behavior under UK competition law. And they are also conducting um, a big market study into both Apple and Google's mobile ecosystems, which will be released later this year. And so they're all a little different, but broadly, these new proposed laws would all in some form Um, For example, force Apple to make third-party apps and app stores available on iOS devices, which is not currently possible. Um, For Android devices, on the other hand, they would require Google to make third-party offerings more accessible than they currently are. Um, So that means users would be able to download unvetted or poorly vetted apps onto their devices, and that could potentially have very significant implications for the security and privacy of users. So... If we lower the current privacy and security protections, that obviously increases the likelihood of things like invasive tracking and fraud, malware, theft, and piracy. And to illustrate this example, you may have one app that looks exactly the same on another distribution platform, but it could be a totally different app. And the sideloaded version that you would get from the web or a third-party app store could be a Trojan horse that tracks users or steals your information or just generally malfunctions. And this situation is obviously bad for consumers, but also for developers because it further erodes a trust in apps, um, which smaller app developers depend on. And in this code of practice that the, the UK government has now launched, part of the reason they're doing that is because they have, they have recognized that increasing competition by mandating sideloading or third-party app stores may increase the risk to app store users if these third-party app stores are made accessible to consumers without the necessary security and privacy controls in place. And so the, and these privacy controls or security controls can be, you know, the, the app review process or transparency around permission requests. Um, and we actually really like that the UK government is doing this because we have kind of been saying this for a long time that Increasing competition is good, but you don't want to do it at the cost of, of privacy and consumer security. So long story short, the threats are evolving, partly due to the regulatory initiatives to stimulate competition, but there's also just more sophisticated threats. Um, and that combined is why the UK government is creating this code of practice now. Right. Okay. So here we've, we've talked mostly about downloading apps through the app stores. So what happens if you bypass the app stores and you download apps directly for, for the web, directly on the device, for example, that's possible on Android? Would, would the code of practice be enough? Um, 
I'm wondering yeah, how it will work. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think you're not the only person. That's a that's a great question. The answer, unfortunately, is probably no. The code would not work for those instances. Um, even if you know, and that's what we believe, the vast majority of developers are trustworthy. Um, unfortunately, there will always be a few that are not, and that make their apps available directly from the web just so they don't have to go through these security controls and they have an easier time um, releasing their malicious apps to the public. And so even the most digitally literate user could inadvertently download a malicious app outside of the stores that appeared benign at first, but then ends up stealing sensitive user data. So mostly this code will help level up the security and privacy standards within the app store ecosystems, but users who download apps outside of the stores, they will most likely, I don't see how, how they wouldn't, um, they would continue to face the same very high level of threats. All right. Okay. So let's talk about the code then, as such and within the Apple Store ecosystem. So what concretely does it say? What should developers know? Yeah. So so first of all, I think you mentioned this at the beginning, the code is voluntary. Um, and the goal is to share best practices for all actors in the app ecosystem. It lists um, seven principles that the UK government considers important in helping to protect users' security and privacy. Um, and then within the content of each principle, the government has already were relevant, referred to privacy requirements that the operators must comply with anyway as part of um, data protection laws. So that's all really good. And we like the coherence here. So um, for completeness, I am um, going to run through all the principles one by one, so bear with me, there's seven of them. <laughs> um, so the first one says that app stores must ensure that only legitimate apps that meet security and privacy best practices are allowed on the app stores. So for example, the code requires um, high standards for app reviews, but also for their updates, which is often where malicious code could be introduced. The second principle, says that app stores must implement vulnerability disclosure processes where, the, where um, they provide guidance and reporting mechanisms for developers to ensure that vulnerabilities can be reported without making them publicly known to malicious actors. The third principle um, states that app stores need to keep apps up to date to protect users and developers. So developers will then have to provide updates to patch security vulnerabilities within their apps as soon as they are identified. And on the other hand, app stores won't be able to reject standalone security updates without providing strong justification to the developer as to why they're rejecting this app or the, the update. Um, the fourth principle is that both stores and developers will need to provide important security and privacy information to users in an accessible way. That's great. Make it more understandable what you're doing to users like us who may not be as um, tech savvy as the developers themselves. The fifth principle is um, that enterprise app stores will need to be more secured. The sixth one is that app stores need to promote better security and privacy best practices to developers. Um, this was actually considered the biggest element lacking in all the app stores by the UK government, um, even in the larger ones. So that's one um, that we're going to pay attention to on how it will be implemented in practice. 
Um, and then the last principle is that app stores should provide upfront and clear feedback to developers um, on the actions they take, even uh, um, if that is like rejecting or um, taking down an app. So again, all of these are voluntary and they are only draft principles at the moment. Well, well, thank you for going over all of these it's, it's, um, and for the comprehensive overview. I think it's important. Um, so thank you, Anna. Uh, maybe, Stephen, let's turn to you. you. You're on the ground in the UK, so uh, we know that you're following this very closely. So can you just update us on what are the next steps? Yeah, sure. And thanks, Anna, for that fantastic rundown. Um, so this work will feed into the government's wider work on cybersecurity as well as uh, potential future regulation mentioned by Anna, such as the new pro-competition regime that we're expecting to hear about later this year. Uh, the code's going to be open for review to, to everyone who wants to participate until the 29th of June. We'll reply as an association, of course, and we'd strongly encourage our members and listeners who have an interest in this issue to answer it as well. It's quite simple and straightforward to participate, um, but we're available to provide extra information and support. All the information will be on the show notes of this episode and you can reach out to us using the contact details if you want to have a chat about it. So yes, we absolutely will respond. Um, and as Stephen say, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, building a secure online environment is crucial for the internet connect- interconnected world we, we live in today. And this is an initiative we're excited to follow and support. And of course, we'll keep you informed uh, on all the later developments. So, well, Anna, Stephen, thank you very much for sitting down with us to break all of this down. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. And now it's time for random identifiers. So, Anna, you're up first. What's your random identifier? Uh, yeah, this month my random identifier is a new hobby that I have picked up. Well, me and my boyfriend. Um, we uh, moved to a new neighborhood, and on our walks, we saw all these like free community tennis courts. So we were like, oh, we could start playing tennis, even though neither of us have ever played before. <laughs> um, so we just went and bought some tennis rackets and we've, um, you know, kind of been teaching ourselves as we go. We'll see how successful this is. So far, no injuries, so that's good. Um, but yeah, it has been very fun. We'll see how long we keep it up because it's also about to get really, really hot here. But yeah, it's been a nice, nice activity to spend time outside um, and you can do it with two people, which is great. So that, yeah, that That's is my new-ish hobby that's for great. now. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And like everything we do at the Apple Station, we monitor this very closely and keep you posted on the development. <laughs> yeah, I'll update so. you on the status of potential injuries. More progress. Maybe so listen closely <laughs> to the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Stephen? What do you have for us? Yeah, I'm following in Anna's footsteps and discovering a new sport. So um, over the weekend, I was at a stag do or a, um, a bachelor party for our US listeners. And as you always do on these things, we went and played a few um, a few activities. And one of them is this thing called archery tag, which is kind of like paintballing, but you fire bow and arrows at each other. And um, the arrows aren't sharp. They've got like a beanbag thing at the end of it. But it's loads of fun, and it still does really hurt when they hit you. So yeah, I spent my my weekend firing arrows at my mates, and it's if it, if anyone wants to try it, I'd really recommend it. It's really good fun. Although I am covered in bruises uh, now. <laughs> yeah, but you have to be pretty precise. Like it's not so, it's as easy as firing something with um 
paintball, right? Yeah, no, it's it's weird. It's I think it's kind of like playing dodgeball, where you're sort of in a room and just you're surprisingly close to each other. But like the hard thing is getting the arrow to go on the the string of the bow. So yeah, people were sort of looking down trying to work out how to do that, and while they were looking down, we're getting hit by arrows. But yeah, it's 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 a lot harder than harder to hit people than paintball. But you it's really satisfying when you do. You feel like Robin Hood or something. <laughs> All right, and then my random identifier, um, I was he- hesitating between two things. Um, I did a lot of watching different things. So first of all was Top Gun. Um, so I yes. went to the Top Gun, uh, yeah, I saw Maverick this weekend. I have to say it was really good. But my second one, that's one I'm going to answer, this is the, um, uh, I'm watching the, the new uh, season of Borgen. Uh, the oh, political I heard show. about that um, on the radio that it was coming back after years, right? Yeah. And I was thinking of you because this was your random identifier before. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when they had announced it, so now I actually it finally was released. So it's a it's a Danish drama about a political um, policymaker who became Denmark's first woman prime minister and now is foreign minister, and they've discovered oil in Greenland, and so there's all this thing around it but it's really good it's a very good political show so i would definitely recommend it if it's available here i'll definitely try to check it out i think it is yeah Yeah. so yes and we've reached the end of greetings from brussels episode 23 of our global text one podcast and if you're interested in learning more head over to our website at actonline.org slash where you'll find our show notes And we also have transcripts available. You can find them at the top of our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search for TechSwamp. And you can subscribe to TechSwamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher to get the latest episodes first. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.